Hey, what's up, podcasters? This is Mike, and I am here to introduce you to episode 38 special guest, Dr. Aaron Donnelly. Let me just state that this episode is going to be full of awesome suggestions, resources, and metaphors regarding this week's topic of discussion, trauma and relationships. I highly suggest you get a pen and paper and get ready to write down some pure gold. I know I did. Dr. Aaron Donnelly is a licensed psychologist and reproductive sexologist who is currently in private practice. She grew up in Kansas City before attending St. Louis University in St. Louis. During her time in undergrad, she also cheered professionally for the St. Louis Rams of the National Football League. Aaron had the honor of visiting troops stationed at bases in Afghanistan, Qatar, South Korea, Japan, and throughout the United States. She competed in the NFL Network's cheerleader playoffs and was selected as the team representative in the 2007 Pro Bowl. After graduating SLU with degrees in psychology, biology, and French, Aaron moved to Philadelphia and attended Widener University Institute for Graduate Clinical Psychology, where she earned her master's and doctorate in clinical psychology, as well as an additional master's degree in human sexuality at the Center for Human Sexuality Studies. She completed her postdoctoral fellowship in the department of OBGYN at the University of Kansas Medical Center before opening her private practice in 2015. Erin is the former director of training at the University of Pittsburgh Counseling Center, where she ran an APA accredited doctoral internship, postdoctoral fellowship rotation, and practicum curricula. She continues to serve the American Psychological Association as a site visitor. Clinically, she focuses on assessment and treatment of adults with specializations in couples and relationship work, trauma-informed care, sexuality, and reproduction. Erin is credentialed by the Association of State and Provincial Psychology Boards to practice telepsychology in several states under the newly established Psychology Interjurisdictional Compact. Wow, <laughs> right? I told you to get that pen and paper out, but if you didn't, then now is the time. Welcome to episode 38 of Not Your Average Operator. Not your average operator. Not your average operator. Not your average operator. Welcome back to another episode of Not Your Average Operator with me, Paul Mellon McFadden. Sitting here with my fellas. How you going there, Ralph? No reply. If you address me by my real name, I'll respond. I will, I will respond sure. if you address me by my real name. We finally found someone who knew you as a child, and that was the name that they use. So that must be the correct name. I still like okay. Tio. Uh, <laughs> it's so sweet. I think if he's a little boy, yeah. every time I say uh, it. No. Nah. Ralph. All right, Tio. How are you going? Tio. <laughs> I'm, I'm good, mate. I'm good, man. I'm, um, I'm down in the South visiting uh, family. And uh, it's, it's been a good time, dude. I've been, uh, Soren's been riding tractors and we, we've been chasing cattle and just living the good old Southern life, man. So, so where great. are you now? Weather's a little nutty out here, but other than that, I'm in, Missouri. I'm in the heart of Missouri. 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 Yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah good. And how about yeah. you, Mike? How you doing, yeah, buddy? Yeah, it's the good life, man. I'm uh, I'm enjoying both of you guys sound like a bunch of children trying to pronounce states and words and locations and names and all that stuff. You guys both sound like you're six years old, but I'm I'm enjoying it, man. Uh, I'm I'm home on the East Coast. I had a really nice week. Some good weather finally popping up. Melon, I know you're happy to hear about weather, and uh, yeah, just went out to the beach finally. Got out at a kind of local spot that nobody really goes to. Enjoyed myself. Got some fishing in um and then some time at the park uh and just being outside when it's not freezing cold or in freezing cold water is a nice break for me so what what is the temperature now where you are uh right now i think it is let me say it's 63 i think uh what tomorrow is supposed to be like 84 but it's supposed to thunderstorm which i'm cool with because i i totally dig storms they're relaxing to me yeah right we hit we hit about 100 Fahrenheit here, so 37 hey. Celsius. We're out yesterday playing a bit of ultimate frisbee and rugby training for a couple of hours on the pitch. It's really good. All the kids, a couple of families. Raph, you're going to jump in? Yeah, because I want to make sure this doesn't go without being said. But am I the only one that's going to have to call Mike out for looking like a Brett, Brett Michael, the Nicolas Cage love, love child? Am I the only one? 
am I alone on this? <laughs> I I was a little shocked as well. I was like, he's joined a motorcycle gang, really? <laughs> yeah, it's called it's called Latin lovers, and uh, Raf's the uh, the VP of the whole motor- motorcycle gang. Mel- <laughs> Melon used to be the head honcho, but they fired him because they couldn't find a helmet to fit him anymore. <laughs> Just for the viewers at home, Mike's got a bandana on and and a, and a wife, and a black wife beater. So it's quite the combination. I went and running, get off my back. Do you know what I reckon it is? I reckon he's he's tried to look pretty cool because we've got a, a fancy guest on. Yeah, that's it. Aaron, how are you going? Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. You've had such a terrible impact on Mike. He's gone and bought a bandana. <laughs> I was trying to laugh before I was formally introduced, but I agree with the Brett Michaels assessment there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just being honest here. It's hot. So everyone's, so everyone's heard a little bit about you in the show notes there, Aaron. It's it's such a wonderful thing to have a guest on, uh, someone with your background and obviously Samir's wife, and you got the contact to uh, the three of us in, in that way. So you're in uh, uh, Carolina now, is that right? Yeah, we're in Charlotte, which is beautiful. And so can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and what you do professionally? Yes, yeah, so I am a clinical psychologist and reproductive sexologist. Um, so, you know, primarily my you know practice is working with individuals and couples doing you know relationship healing, relationship enhancement, um, and I, you know, work in you know kind of the reproductive sexual relationship world um, and kind of specialize in in trauma and just reestablishing safety and making sure that people can breathe most easily in their lives. That is so cool. Such a big part of everyone's life, right? And trauma is so widespread. It is. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think depending on, you know, you can ask all kinds of people that will have, you know, different, different, you know, specific definitions of trauma, but really, you know, one of the ways that I think about it and conceptualize it is just psychological injury. Um, in you know a variety of capacities and it exists on a spectrum and so you know that can be everything from you know i mean the loss of a loss of a job loss of a family member car accident through you know some of the most unbelievably traumatic things that people could possibly imagine um that are either acute instances of things or you know chronically happening over time so it's incredibly diverse and can manifest in all different ways that I think, you know, people might not oftentimes think about because it doesn't fall into like the true trauma defined category, if you will, as we think of, you know, diagnoses of PTSD and, um, and, you know, things along that vein. So. I know why uh, Raf said really early on, He's, and he said it a few times, you know, no one gets out of this thing without scars, you know, like everyone picks up something, either them or people close to them in their life. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really relevant, especially for our listeners to have someone with your expertise on. We're really lucky and, and blessed to have you, Aaron. It's wonderful. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I use a lot of metaphors, so I hope that that's... <laughs> Metaphor, um, metaphors are great, so... Yeah. Yeah, you kind of listen to us. We're we're three gorillas that are talking about random stuff, and so breaking it down for us and using metaphors to understand certain terms are very good. Um, so, but I, I think this is great, uh, just for the listeners out there. You know, we we were kind of talking before the show started, but as as Melon referred to, is you know nobody gets out of this thing unscarred, uh, nobody gets a pass, <clears throat> and. You know, we talk about trauma a lot within our military circle because there's a lot that happens, whether it's a physical injury. Um, I, I know personal experience from a lot of explosives and stuff of having, you know, a lot of shots to the head or blast waves or anything. I know there's a lot of listeners out there that are experienced within combat, but also, too, there's so many more topics that go on at home in the household with relationships, with wife, with kids, the stressors of life. Um, which are just every day. Um, you don't have to be in the military to have stress. You don't have to be in the military to have trauma. 
Um, you could walk down the street and, and go to the store and get, have something happen and have trauma. Um, so I, I just thought it was really good idea to have you on Aaron. And I think today opening up those layers that I think we always really do and have an honest conversation about this uh, is going to be very healthy, especially for a lot of the listeners. Yeah. Um, you know, and I mean, with so many of the things that are just happening in the news, I mean, people don't have to experience something firsthand even to have, you know, um, to have to be traumatically impacted. I mean, it can be observing something, it can be hearing about something. And so, you know, I mean, some of these shootings, you know, in the, you know, the most recently, the, um, grocery store, you know, in Boulder, I mean, people are just on a higher alert, hyper vigilance level, you know, in general these days and being in the middle of global pandemics. So just contextually, um, we're more vulnerable, all of us, you know, as, as a population now. So, um, yeah. Erin, I've, I've listened to a bit of um, Dr. Gabor Mate. He's a, um, an addiction specialist and he talks about every case of addiction he's worked with having at its at its core an element of trauma that hasn't been treated or resolved i know that i've i've uh, had friends with addiction issues and and all of those guys and girls have had uh traumatic experiences would you say that that's uh, a fair assessment that there's trauma underneath a lot of the addictions that we see yeah i actually really agree with him strongly in his perspective of addiction and trauma. Um, and, you know, thinking of it as well as like psychological injury. And so a lot of um, relational injuries or relational traumas, meaning things happening between people or not happening, you know, when they're supposed to developmentally can really, you know, create a vulnerability toward a lot of psychological pain. And then, you know, hence potentially getting involved in use of substances and, addiction and dependence in and of itself can lead to things that are in turn then you know traumatic physically or you know emotionally relationally otherwise so yes the need for healing in the world of of um dependence and uh, chemical abuse is significant Whew. that was a good way to start off the bat it's pretty what it's pretty upfront with i think a lot of examples start popping in our head as soon as we heard you kind of explaining that. I mean, I know I had just probably four or five instances or examples popped in my head of just really bad things, but. Yeah, and I mean, I guess to you know throw one of my metaphors out there is, um, you know, I mean, thinking of trauma as like a, a splinter. I mean, get it, it hurts. It can be of varying sizes, um, you know, over time skin grows over and maybe sometimes we don't even think of this thing again until maybe we bump it or, um, and it's painful, you know? And so a lot of the work is, you know, really slowly kind of opening that skin back up to be able to take it out. And it's pretty raw and, um, and vulnerable and, you know, susceptible to infection and things like that. And so, um, you know, a lot of use of chemicals can be like a Band-Aid um, where, you know, you're not really gonna, heal if it's if it's festering and moist and all of that so really being able to open it up talk about it you'll still have a scar there potentially right but when you're hit it you're not going to have that same sensitivity over time um so yeah i mean there are things that have have happened to people that sometimes aren't even on the surface until um another event or interaction with someone kind of triggers that such a big topic on uh, probably if all I of us just thinking ask, about. Jump in, Ralph. Yeah, so if I could, I know that you have a, I mean, you, you specialize, but I know I'm sure to get to that specialty, you probably kind of generalized a little bit. I guess what I'm trying to get at is, is there a common thread that you've noticed maybe over the years, maybe like a common theme, if you will, of uh, like a continuous you know, events that keep occurring with your patients where you keep saying, man, this, this thing keeps coming up where people are, you know, suffering from ABC type trauma that, you know, I didn't anticipate, or maybe you did anticipate it. And then to follow through with that, what, what's, what are some of the techniques or um, like maybe some sort of developmental procedure that you've, that you've come across that you realize, Hey, this really does help in kind of uh, dealing with some of this trauma. I mean, like, 
And again, I know that going to professional is always the preferred method, but let's say if you're, you don't have access to it, maybe because of a time resource thing, or maybe it is money. I don't know, but let's just say that if, you know, if it's a kind of like, I'm a person who doesn't have the ability to see a professional, maybe because of where I'm at located right overseas or what have you, is there anything that you would sit there and say, Hey, this is very beneficial. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great question. Um, yeah, and a ton of different ways that I could go at this. So I think one um, thing that's just a very like day-to-day -day interaction um, that I, I, you know, just from the, the academic standpoint, you know, and learning about everything and then really getting into the work, I think one of the things that tends to be most traumatizing or re-traumatizing or maintaining of, you know, reactions is is people having the experience of being either not believed or emotionally invalidated. Or, you know, if people are having an intense reaction of, of overwhelm or something like that, getting met with responses of, you know, you're being too sensitive, you're overreacting, you are, you shouldn't feel that way. Um, it wasn't that big of a deal. You know, phrases like that. And really, the person that's saying you're too sensitive is really what they're saying is, I am not capable, I do not have the emotional resources to manage whatever emotions you are experiencing right now. So I'm gonna tell you, you're being too sensitive so that it shuts you know, your emotional response down. So, you know, so I think some of the work that people can do is to do some, do some research around, there's a ton of resources you know, online about boundaries, healthy boundaries. How does one set you know, healthy boundaries? How can one respond to you know, really, emotionally invalidating statements that, you know, violate um, psychological boundaries. So creating that sense of, of safety and relationships is a lot, a lot, a lot of the work that I do so that people can, can continue to heal by increasing, you know, safety and in their most immediate relationships. Yeah. You nailed it on the head. So I, in episode one, I shared a breakdown that I had uh, that was very hard for me. And exactly what you said was exactly what I would receive the minute I would try to open up to someone over the course of 10 years. And it was the hardest thing to talk to someone who I thought I could trust or that I thought would understand. And immediately, exactly what I said, it's like, oh, but you'll be okay. And you can make it through this. You'll be fine. You're one of the strongest dudes I've ever met. And this is friends. This is family. This is everything. And literally what it took at the end was one of my, one of Raph and I's best friends to be like, you're hurting and you're messed up and it's okay. Mm -hmm. And that, that validation was like a, a thousand pounds of just like, yes, acknowledge my pain, man. I, I'm drowning. And at least you can see it for what it is. And I think that moment to hear him say that followed by probably the biggest bear hug I've ever received um, was uh, a turning point for me of just acknowledging that I was broken and that I wasn't wrong for it. I wasn't weak for it. It was just what is, and it was, I was going through it. So you, you nailed it. Yeah. And I mean, to, to address that, you know, the broken piece of it, I hear that so frequently of, you know, I feel broken, I feel messed up. And, you know, what I say to that is that there are parts of you that have been super hurt. And so, you know, you are not in need of fixing. There's, you know, parts that are in need of healing and taking that, taking that time. And so, yeah, to have people say to you, hey, I see that you're hurting. I can authentically see what is going on for your experience. And, you know, there's all these different parts of us and these experiences that we have. And, you know, with, with trauma and with some things that happen, like there's a possibility that there might be a part of you that might never feel perfectly okay. And how do you integrate that into day-to-day -day life and into your narrative of your life? And how can you continue to heal in all the ways that you can and experience the most fulfilling, enhancing relationships and opportunities to live the most balanced life? I was going to make the observation in Australia at the moment, you guys might not be aware. There's a really, uh, a big case has. <laughs> Don't mind me. A big case has unfolded in Australia and it is right at the top of Australian politics. We've got, um, I just wanted to make the point that 
these traumatic experiences and trauma doesn't, it's not confined to one segment of society or one economic strata. We've, we've been having this unfold in our, the equivalent of our White House, so right at the top in our parliament with um, people who've been sexually assaulted and not listened to or not believed and have carried this for a number of years. And it just seems like a tidal wave of this stuff is, is occurring where people are finally being able to speak and be listened to. And so like, it wasn't really like leading to a question, but it was just an observation that this happens right across the whole of society and people are carrying these things and people have the experience of not being listened to. And I, like, it's a, it's a horrifying thought of someone being invalidated after having had an experience like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will, you know, invalidated. I have had clients who have shared that they have been laughed at, <laughs> um, you know, this person could not have possibly done this, you know, they are not like that, um, you know, or I mean, there's, there are all kinds of things and, you know, from very overtly um, injurious and invalidating like that to, you know, some of the stuff that you're alluding to, you know, Mike, about people saying, hey, you're so strong, you know, I mean, oftentimes people are really well-intended, you know, and wanting to comfort and encourage and coach. And so, um, you know, figuring out the language to kind of gently, inform people in your life, you know, hey, here is how I'm perceiving that, that phrase. I, I respect that you care about me and um, yeah, and you're pointing out these awesome strengths that I have. And also, you know, I need you to see that I'm hurting and here, here are the things that I need. So yeah, so working on that, you know, communication. And I mean, it's harder to say, right, like some of these situations that are so, so public, you know, how to, tell the public to respond but yeah how would you how would you advise like i'm sure a lot of our listeners will know people who are traumatized or have had traumatic experiences mm-hmm. how would you advise that person who's who's hearing a story perhaps for the first time perhaps they've heard a story many times to be able to be that person that mike referred to there the one who can validate that experience and and be that sort of lifeline and and a connection point Mm-hmm. How would you advise that sort of that that initial conversation with someone you you either know they've been traumatized or you're hearing about it for the first time? Mm-hmm. How would you advise that person to receive that story? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, first, I think kind of thinking for your for yourself too. You know, am I in a space? How am I going to respond? Just so that you are aware, kind of ahead of time. You know, because if if you have an intense reaction, you're caught off caught off guard. Um, it can just make it unsafe and talking about it but but I think number one saying I believe you thank you for feeling safe enough with me you know to share to share this that I'm a trusted individual that you would come to and that sounds awful or I can see that you're hurting um one do you feel safe now are there things that we can do to enhance your like immediate sense of safety and two what do you need and sometimes people don't know what they need in that moment. It's almost more energy to kind of try and think of what they need. So telling them to like, you saying that you don't know what you need right now is also an answer. And would it be helpful for me to like throw some things out there? Are you in need of distraction? Are you in need of relaxation? Are you in need of assistance in some way getting resources? Are you in need of just company? Are you in need of someone to sit with? you but that you know bottom line being what you're telling me is real I know what you're telling me is real and I can see that it's had an impact on you um and you're not going to be alone in this so powerful Aaron Mike your mate who uh gave you the big bear hug and nearly broke your ribs and validated you what what where did that conversation go after that after that initial point of healing yeah uh, well, I didn't, I, I didn't sleep for, uh, I was probably up for almost two days, uh, to that point. I just, I just couldn't sleep. Um, so re- revisiting just real quick. I, I woke up one day and it literally felt like someone was just, uh, hovering over me that I couldn't see. And like, they were literally holding onto my soul. If it was a physical object and it would, they were just pulling it from me and I could just feel my whole body going through these waves and, and emotions and, and pain and past memories and past trauma of honest, honestly, from my dad passing away to losing some of my teammates to some really tough 
incidences and, and, and theater, um, all of that was kind of just bursting, you know, coming out and I couldn't control it. I cried for four days straight. My face was puffed up. I was exhausted mentally, physically, emotionally. Like it was just completely draining. Uh, when I finally got there and Jimmy gave me this giant bear hug and was like, I love you, brother. I love you. And just it was honest with me. I could just naturally feel how genuine he was being. Um, he wasn't hiding anything. He, he didn't have an agenda, an ego, nothing. It was just genuine caring and love to be open for me and just be like, dude, it's, I, I get it. And, and you're not in a good place and you're hurting and you're broken inside. Ask, you know, as Rathfell always says, ask me how I know, because he went through that at a stage in his life and he wasn't trying to be the tough guy being like, oh, you could power through you or whatever. No, he was just like, he, he had empathy for me and he showed empathy and demonstrated empathy. And I believed him and I trusted him more than anybody, even more than my own family in that moment. And I became vulnerable because of it. And I slept that night. We woke up in the morning, he had breakfast made, had a nice thing of coffee. And then we just went out and sat in his backyard around the little fire pit. And we just started having a conversation for a while. And uh, that was the start of it. And that's all it was, was just be, being in a comfortable spot. And, you know, I know some people and you could get blown way out of proportion, but there's all this like safe space talk about like, oh, that's, you know, that's for weak people, like whatever, man. But let me tell you that backyard day for a special operations soldier and another pilot that served together in Afghanistan and been through some stuff. Um, that was my safe space to open up to one of my best friends. And I, I am not a weak person. Let me tell you, um, I, I was very appreciative and thankful that I had a man like that in my life to be able to pull me through that because honestly, that was true strength. That wasn't weakness. And uh, I honestly don't think I would be where I'm at today uh, without him doing that for me. So that answers your question, Melon. I'm so glad you had that experience, Mike. And it was a safe space. And, and, you know, part of that, as you're talking about it, he really made it about you, right? And he saw you, he heard you. It wasn't like a, you know, hey, why didn't you come to me before? Or, um, you know, he really just respected that this is, you know, how you needed to cathart and start working through this stuff, so. Mm -hmm. You got some Raph? Yeah, I was just gonna say, uh, you talked about how overwhelmingly grateful you were that you had this man in your life, but I'd like to point out that, you know, you, it could also be a woman. Uh, an example for that would be my wife. We've had some of the toughest discussions. Uh, I have some of the toughest discussions I've ever had was with a woman, it was my wife. And, you know, being married, it's not always roses. It's just, just not right. Like sometimes we, you know, it's, we're gnashing of teeth and we're, you know, it's a grid out, whatever you want to call it. But there are those moments where both of us do what we can to kind of like what, uh, what, uh, I was, I almost called you Dr. Aaron. Like I was a toddler, <laughs> Dr. Donnelly, sorry. Um, kind of, kind of what you alluded to though, just, you know, acknowledging the other person, um, kind of, just agreeing with like what what you bring to the table. I agree that you that that it's real, right? So what I'm trying to get at is, I've noticed that some of our best conversations, we both did our best to to kind of turn our physiology to that recept to that recipient to that person that really is there to acknowledge the other person, and it doesn't become like a combative type situation, like you know, uh, like married couples can do sometimes. Um, so I I'm just I'd like to point out that it it's not just a friend, right? It could also be your wife. Hopefully it could be your girlfriend. It could be um, your sister. It just, it can be any, anybody. Um, but I think the key there, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, Aaron, is if you are that recipient, then you have to really make sure that your physiology is appropriate so that you're transparent. And, and like you said, you are about the other person, right? Cause mm -hmm. we can spot a fraud a mile away and then just kind of cheapens the whole experience. And it, maybe it's not as effective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, feeling like you're in a receptive place, you know, or if, or if there's something, you know, going on where, you know, you say, hey, can we pause this conversation? This is something that is so important to me. I really want to be able to dedicate my attention to it. 
um, let's, you know, let's turn off the TV or like, you know, put the phones in the other room or go, go for a walk, you know, where there are no other distractions and nature is always good for everybody. So, um, but yeah, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. And I think too, recognizing that none of us is ever going to be perfect in a conversation. And so if, if there is something that's said that is offensive or hurtful, to recognize the impact that that had and then try and explain intent. So looking at intent versus versus impact, because oftentimes, you know, people don't have the intent of being malicious or having a hurtful impact. So, you know, working out ways to rephrase things. And I mean, we could do a year long, <laughs> 24 seven podcast on communication and techniques and stuff like that. Um, but, but absolutely right. I mean, that, that, approaching it with humility, approaching it with curiosity and, and receptivity for sure. It's, it's such good stuff that's coming out right now. Mike, when you, um, you, you, you woke up with your buddy, you had your, uh, your, your morning together and like, I just, I'm, I can really feel how amazing that space would have been for you, you know, after that lack of sleep and the trauma and so on. Where was the pathway for you into getting perhaps professional support or what was the pathway to the healing? Like, how did you get into access? Like, I don't know whether it was professional support that helped or a program of some kind. Yeah. So I had a lot of experience around me with, uh, you know, senior leadership guys that have been around a long time and they could, they read me like a book. So when I had to go back into work, I'm walking around and they could just literally look at me. And it was a, uh, a very senior leader at, at my team at the time pulled me aside and he's like, Hey, I need to talk to you for a minute. I thought he's going to talk work. And he just looked at me. He's like, he's like, it's like looking in a mirror right now. And I want to tell you that. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you need to get some help and I'm going to take you and I'm going to show you where to get it. And, uh, and he's like, all I want to tell you right now is that I was in your place 12 years ago and I wouldn't be where I'm at right now as a man, as a person, as a husband, as an operator, without doing the steps that you're about to do. And I want you to trust me. Do you, do you trust me? And I just looked at him. I said, yeah, because nobody's ever talked to me like that. Um, it's always the tough bravado, like, you know, whatever, carry on stuff. And um, he gave me a list of resources that our community has. I went and talked to a uh, family psychologist, actually, that's attached to our unit specifically for guys like me. And I went to sit with him. And I think I mentioned another one. I think it was an hour session. I said maybe 10 words and I cried for 50 minutes um, just because I wasn't done. It, it, I wasn't done and it just needed to come out. And I went and saw him for about three months, three months. So it was not quick. E even to start feeling different again, it was a process. Um, and all I kept hearing was, hey, you showed up day one live for this moment. It's a process. Trust it. It's not going to, you're not going to wake up tomorrow and it's going to be gone. You need to put in again. I know we talked about it on the podcast, but you need to put in the work and I just need you to show up for one. And then the rest is going to slowly, slowly start catching traction. And I really believed it because I kept hearing that senior leader in my head uh, of what he told me. And I was like, if, and, and trust me, this guy has been, all over the world in every type of special operations capacity about some very high-vis missions that everybody knows about and some other ones that are probably equivalent, but you don't hear about it. And this is the guy that's telling me that I, it's okay to ask for help. Like, I don't care what anybody else is going to tell me. If this guy's telling me, dude, then I trust you. That validated it, right? Um, so that was kind of the process, man, of, of starting there. And then honestly, after I kind of got the framework from that, honestly, depending on someone to sit in a room and talk to me, uh, it started to evolve from that where it was a where I was literally talking to myself every day, where I was reflecting, um, writing things down a little bit here and there, not as much as I do now, but talking myself through. And I could already hear the conversation as if I was talking to a psychologist and being like, well, if I said this, this is what they're going to tell me because I heard it so many times. And it, then it became like a mantra. And, it, and then it became a little bit more and more and more. And I could rely on that to always be there in the back of my head. And it, it became like a, a, a pillar, a new pillar in my life. 
So, and it, and it definitely helped me, man. That's the only reason I'm still here, like, honestly. That is exactly how therapy spaces are designed to be as safe as possible so that things can be processed and worked through and, you know, to have emotional gains made and then translated into the real world. And I mean, it is heavy lifting, um, you know, I mean, analogous to weightlifting. I mean, you guys are all in excellent shape. Um, you know, I mean, it's heavy lifting and you're emotionally sore and then, you know, come back with more stamina and feeling, you know, even more capable of managing and working through things and really internalizing the things that you pick up in, in therapy. And I mean, my clients over the years are some of the strongest people that I know. I mean, the amount of strength that it takes to be vulnerable and to look at our stuff is immense. So I have so much admiration and my job is the greatest honor to have. Um, so, yeah. I feel like our traditional, I feel like the, the standard sort of old school male or certainly in the military way of dealing with stuff was always just to get that lid on that jar as tight as you could, open that shelf, ram it in there and shut that door and never let that stuff out. And like I, I know we all have seen people who have not been able to integrate those experiences and that that stuff always detonates at some point later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's like, a, sorry. It's like a pressure cooker. I mean, if you've had the experience of taking a beach ball and trying to push it underwater, like the deeper you try and push it, the harder it is, the more energy it takes and the higher it's going to fly when that comes up. So the goal is to have the emotional beach ball on the waves and, ebb and flow accordingly I, I love the metaphors i know before you were like i use a lot of metaphors and i was like good because the the one i was told was uh hey man you're a sponge and i was like what do you mean i'm a sponge and he's like well you're you're always gonna fill with water you're gonna be around and you're you start off very light but then you get heavier and heavier and heavier and the more water you retain then you can't breathe and it's just this constant pull this weight and he's like if you don't periodically give that give it a squeeze and let that stuff out then eventually you know kind of what happened to me he's like eventually your your soul whatever you want to call it your your psyche is going to be like i can't take any more and it's just going to forcefully squeeze that sucker and it's all coming out and there's no stopping it and that's what happened to me but now that i think about it i thought it was again a great metaphor and helped me understand Hey, I need to ring myself out a little bit. I'm getting a little tense, you know? For sure. I'm going to add that one to my metaphorical repertoire. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Aaron, people listening right now might be thinking, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that either they could be that person listening for someone else or that they themselves have a trauma. What's a generic sort of pathway that people can start to progress down to access help? Is there online resources that people can access? I'm assuming now in the time of COVID, people can do a lot more sort of consultation from their own home on a, on a laptop screen and so on like that. Could you just sort of lay out just some broad pathways? Absolutely. Great question. So, um, I mean, one, you know, pathway is to call insurance and say, who are, who are the providers who are um, covered? in my plan and in my area, and they will shoot over a list. A great resource is um, Psychology Today. You can go on and enter criteria such as insurance, certain you know therapist demographics that people would be looking for. So male, female, or certain um, uh, spiritual orientations um, can type in you know, specific therapy goals that you would be looking for. Um, you know, certain number of miles from your zip code, all of that, and really sort through providers. And they, you know, during the pandemic, therapists have been able to do video introductions. So if they have that, you can click play and kind of get a feel for that therapist and how that therapist might work. A lot of therapists offer free consultations. And my advice is to check out a handful. I mean, contact a handful, um, ask them questions. Do not be afraid to ask them questions. Um, Therapists come in all different flavors. And so some people might feel like a better fit for you than others. And yeah, shoot them an email, give them a call. Um, inclusivetherapists.com is a new upcoming 
um, site that is doing a lot of work in the um, social justice world. Um, so creating safe spaces in the therapy room um, in that way. Yeah, or, or even Googling online, you know, therapists in my area. Um, there's two apps that are online now. There's BetterHelp and there's also Talkspace. Um, I know Michael Phelps is a big advocate of, of one of those. Um, I I have not personally or professionally done anything in the like virtual um, like texting therapy realm. So um, you might consult with somebody who has um, for more information on that. But but yeah, I mean therapists are we want you to contact us. We that is what we are here for. Um, I mean if people you know stepped in a pothole and broke an ankle, they wouldn't think twice about going to the ER or seeing an orthopedist or whatever they would need. Um, yes, I mean, we we are here to support you um, and we want you to contact us and, and to have those conversations to discuss, you know, hey, what are your therapy goals right now? Um, if, if you have been through therapy before and you're getting started with a new provider, I think it's really helpful to say, hey, here's the things that worked for me in the past. Here are the things that that didn't seem to go quite as well in therapy. Um, I certainly just encourage people to be vocal about what they need, even if that's saying, I'm not quite sure what I need right now, but can you help me figure that out? Would you say that most of the therapy will lead to a face-to-face so it is good to look for someone in your area versus relying 100% on an online digital connection yeah so I think that depends I think if um you know you're somebody who prefers to be in person I miss not sitting in person with people um and I'm grateful that you know telehealth has afforded us the the opportunity to continue doing the work you know throughout the pandemic for some people being at home might feel safer so they, they might um, want to work with somebody over telehealth. And at least I can't speak for other mental health disciplines, but psychology is moving into a new era of credentialing under what's called SciPact. So psychologists are able to perform telehealth into um, dozens of, of states now um, with more coming in the, in the upcoming year. So hopefully it's gonna continue to make uh, mental health access even easier you know, and more, more efficient. So fingers crossed. But with a, probably with an, an, an overall view, people maybe still search in their local area, start with an online consultation, meet, meet a few people. They're in their own home. They can be Mm -hmm. nice and safe and private Mm -hmm. and then go with the one that they feel the most comfortable with, or that they feel a a connection. How would, how would you, how would you advise someone to, to know when they, have found the right therapist? Is it is it just an immediate, you, you get, you feel a connection or is there? Yeah, great question. I think that at times, yes, you can. Um, sometimes I encourage people to try two or, two or three sessions, see how they feel with someone. Um, should definitely have the experiences of, wow, I'm feeling so heard, <laughs> this feels safe. They seem, you know, really attentive to the things that I'm saying. They're, you know, remembering the things that I'm saying week to week. They understand my goals and they're, it doesn't seem like they're creating their own goals for me. Like we're collaboratively doing this together. It should always, always, always be collaborative. And they should answer any questions, you know, that you have as far as, you know, what what might therapy look like, um, you know, <laughs> what would time frame be, financial arrangements, things like that. Like they should always be very transparent about their practice. There's a lot of commonality with, uh, we did an episode with uh, one of my friends, Dr. Tony, and he's a, re- a physical rehabilitation specialist as well. And the biggest thing was, was uh, you know, the patient and the, and the doctor or whatever. The first point was making that mutual agreement of like, we want we both want us to get better. Like we both want to get you where you want to go and acknowledging that and having that initial connection and understanding is the most important before you jump into, Hey, I need you to do X, Y, and Z and all this treatments or, you know, whatever. It's all the same. And I love the example of like, Oh, you stepped in the hole and hurt your ankle. You're, you're, you're going to go to a doctor and you have the same conversation. What, what people need to not 
forget or they really need to try to understand is like your physical health is one thing. Your emotional health is another. Your psyche, psychological health is different, but it's all the same process. If one's hurting, you have a point to go to and it's all kind of the same as just, hey, this I need help with this. This needs to heal. This needs to be better. How do I do that? And just asking that question and reaching out. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the mind body connection is undeniable. And when we're not feeling great emotionally, we can have physical aches and pains. And when we're physically aching and in pain, we're not going to feel our best emotionally. So really taking care of oneself holistically in all aspects of life. Yeah. You know, one thing, one thing I'd really like to challenge some of the listeners, particularly in the military, because I, I, I'm very vocal about this stuff because of my experience, what I've been through. But a lot of the, a lot of the people in the military, they're listening to this or police or anybody. It's like in my type of environment um, where it's very alpha. It's very like uh, we don't talk about weakness in, in this space. And, you know, if you if you want to you go find another job, sometimes it's, it's not that bad anymore, but it's still around. Um, realize that your physical, your emotional, your psychological health, that, you know, stuff I've been through that Raph or Mellon has experienced. Um, stop thinking about just the military. Okay. If you're, if you're in a short enlistment, two, three, four years, and you're, and you're going to go overseas or you're planning on doing something and for a little bit, there is life after the military. Okay. <laughs> look, look at Raph. He's retired now and he's still having life. He has a wonderful son and he loves running around chasing him with little tongs around his kitchen. Right. He, he's happy. He's laughing. I can't stop the dude from laughing and smiling with his son. If you don't take the time to fix yourself now, when the military is gone, it's gone. The train's a thousand miles away, but there's no hopping back into it. Like you need to be proactive. You need to let this stuff go because once your service is done, which will happen at any one point, whether it's the way we want it to or an unforeseen way, God forbid, it will end and life will change. Life will evolve. Life will continue, but you shouldn't have to carry some of that weight with you into the rest of your life, especially if you want to be a really good dad, a really good husband, a really good friend, son, like daughter, whatever it might be. Take the time to do it now. Don't be like, I'll deal with it next week. I'll deal with it when I get off deployment. I'll deal with it after next year. Like start now and start letting that stuff out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think a big, you know, hesitation for people sometimes too, is they almost feel like, oh my gosh, once I open this up, will there ever, will I be able, ever be able to kind of put it back in or, you know, I'm thinking about like a dish cabinet, right? <laughs> Opening it and everything just spilling out. But um, I mean, healing can be paced and measured and um, therapy is designed to have safeties in place so that, you um, it is, it is timed, it is um, researched, it is very empirical and intentional. And, and again, collaborative, it's okay to say, hey, this is too much for me right now, or I'm not gonna quite go there right now. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, you have control, I guess, in the, in the timing of it as well. I had a question, this might be, you know, too large a topic for, for just now, but There'll be people out there who have had tra- traumatic experiences and trauma uh, accrue as adults. And there'll also be people who are carrying things for many years, maybe since childhood. Are there different, um, is it a different process? Should people be looking at different resources? H- yeah. How does that, is, is it a large difference? Like I'm not, I'm not sure whether it is or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it depends on, yeah, kind of the, the kind and the nature of trauma. Definitely look for a trauma specialist, um, you know, someone who, who specializes in trauma um, and, you know, and ask them those questions, you know, based on, you know, whatever their trauma is. Have you worked with people who have experienced these things before? What types of trauma do you specialize in? Um, there are a bunch of different kinds of, of trauma therapies. So yeah, so asking providers in those consultations, you know, what does your treatment look like? Is it, you know, a you know, um, cognitive behavioral 
protocol? Is it prolonged exposure? Is it cognitive processing therapy? Is it um, EMDR, which stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing? Um, so, and asking them, you know, hey, what is this good for? Um, what has this been shown to be really effective for? If that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking, Aaron, that like even if someone made contact initially and they followed that sort of few steps you outlined earlier of finding someone in the local area and so on, if they ask those questions, they might be able to find out pretty quick, oh, this is not a good match for me. But I'm thinking that that, that professional will probably have very good contacts and be able to maybe on refer them to someone who is a good match. Yes. So it might, not, it might not be that first person you speak to, but often they're going to be the expert in their network and they might be able to steer you down the path. Absolutely. Yes, I certainly try and, you know, make referrals if I don't feel like I would be the most appropriate person for someone's goals. Do you ever have... I could just, oh, go ahead, Ruff. I just want to ask a question, and that might, it might steer you away from what we're kind of currently talking about, but I was just thinking in my head, you know, everything we've spoken about and damn near everything in life, it kind of impacts the intimacy that we have in our relationships. Is there anything, are there steps, routines, or something that you would, is, you can keep it as generic as possible, that you would recommend just to have in your back pocket, um, not just when you're dealing in trauma, but just, you know, the everyday challenges that we have that would kind of help, I don't want to call it spice because that sounds corny, but it, to optimize your intimacy, you know, and I'm, I'm not talking about just sexually, just, you know, when intimacy, which just encompasses a lot more than that emotion, emotional connection with, you know, your significant other. Is there anything that you've seen that has been really effective and not just the day, day to day stuff, but like even including something like you're dealing with trauma or you're dealing with, you know, past, uh, you know, um, dealings that you, that you've been, um, that you brought, I guess, into that relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think intentionality is a big one. Being intentional about spending time aside for those, you know, deeper conversations for the, I mean, I encourage daily, um, you know, even if it is just five minutes, that's no tech time, you know, in a consistent space that feels really comfortable um, and maybe sharing a snack or something. Um, but TV off, no distractions, just intentionality about really asking each other, how are you? How are you doing? Are there things that came up that you want to talk about today? Or sharing things that you're really grateful for, you know, about the other other person um, or experiences, you know, that you had that day or memories that you thought about that day. Um, but I think I'm finding more and more just that gets lost because the world is so busy and um, people are going all kinds of different directions and especially, I mean, this last year. So really recommitting to that intentional check-in that is planned as a thing in and of itself. There's, you know, one of the you know main kind of couples therapists in today's day and age is Gottman. And so he actually has, it's Gottman's card deck. It's a free app, but it has a bunch of different topics and questions that, um, you know, couples can ask. I encourage couples sometimes to make a couple mason jars and one can be just a bunch of questions that you're curious about each other and to put it in there. And another is just a bunch of activities that you might want to do so that you kind of shake them up and you don't have to use the mental energy to come up with things at any given time. Um, you know, and one tool that has been, has been really helpful that I have started, um, that I developed and used with couples is in your check-ins, give give a physical battery charge, an emotional battery charge, a mental battery charge, and a social battery charge. Um, of you know, hey, like physically, I'm at a ten percent charge, but you know, mentally, I'm at a ninety. You know, so maybe that means, hey, let's sit and have a conversation. Let's not go, you know, outside and do an activity. Or, you know, if somebody is physically at a ten maybe the other person could take care of some of the household stuff that evening. You know, I mean, just provides a different level of information, you know, with where, where people are at, um, you know, or if socially somebody's at a 10, maybe like night in, you know, not out, not a lot of interaction is, is better, you know, for that person. Um, so it just gives kind of a quick snapshot of here's where I'm at. Here's where you're at. Let's go from there. So maybe walking around with a three by five note card with a percentage is, on your shirt. Is, 
sure. Don't talk to me. I'm at a 5%. Don't talk to me. <laughs> it, could be, it could be, you know, hey, I just got home from a really busy day at work. I am mentally at a five. I need to go decompress. You know, whatever you're saying is really important. I want to hear it. Give me an hour and, you know, we can come back and and have that conversation, you know, and it's not perceived as, oh, hey, this person just doesn't care. or doesn't want to listen to me. I just want to point out for the listeners who can't see that there's two married men on here and we are like scratching away at a bit of paper as fast <laughs> as possible, taking down notes. <laughs> Raph and I are like, oh, all right. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. You're not kidding. I was like, dude, this is, yeah, this is gold. I'm like, I'm literally just, just scratching yeah. away. Yeah. I'm not asking for anybody else but me. <laughs> When I was going to say, couples therapy, relationship yeah. therapy is one of my favorite things. I mean, I just, I love, love, I love seeing, you know, people live their most enhanced relationships. And I think oftentimes couples therapy gets a bad rap, like, oh my gosh, we're on the verge of separating or divorce. Let's go. This is a last ditch effort where, you know, actually it's a really awesome tool to have that can just enhance your relationship and all these different aspects of I can understand myself and my user manual and yours and now we can be the best together that we can be and one more metaphor for you I feel like couples are like cars that need regular maintenance and oil changes and tire rotations and you know and the potholes of life <laughs> so it's, it's that's good stuff, you know yeah, and that's I, why I was just gonna say, you know, I see couples will work, you know, together weekly, and then some, some, you know, kind of have me in their back pocket of like, hey, let's do a monthly check-in. We just have our, that's our relationship, you know, enhancement. So check-in monthly or, um, you know, quarterly or whatever just works for them as an ongoing commitment to to their relationship. So, Aaron, very serious question. Raph and Melon are potholes of life in my in my life. How do I deal with them? <laughs> <laughs> I can't take it. <laughs> my how, how can you treat us? Can you help us get over the bandana that we've been looking at? For the last hour? <laughs> well, we should first unpack what Brett, Michael their flavor of pothole in your life is. And then... <laughs> I- I just am very conscious of the fact that we're holding your time, Erin. I know that Raph and I are literally like, we will keep asking you questions that are 100% appropriate for us. And we're going to steal it and write it all down. But I feel like we're probably, uh, you know, have taken enough of your precious time. I know Samir's there on the, on the couch and no doubt he's, <laughs> he wants his wife back as well. But I just want to thank you so much for coming on. This has just been such an amazing breath of fresh air and, um, concrete pathways for people to be able to implement in their own life. And, and hopefully these people can see that contacting someone like you who has just so much experience and expertise and positivity, it doesn't have to be a traumatic experience to do that. You know, that there are people out there who have heard everything, you know, they've heard all these uh, stories before and they know what to do and which way to, to steer people to be able to deal with these things. And that you don't have to carry these traumas whether they're leading to addictive outcomes or other negativity in your life, that there are people out there who know how to help you. And um, I would love to extend an invitation to have you back on. Cause I've got like another 50 questions and I reckon, <laughs> I reckon Ras got a hundred. Oh, I would love that. Thank you. First yeah. off so much for having me. It has been such an honor. I would love to come back and um, real quick. There are two free apps also that people can download. One is, they're actually both through the Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, breathe number two, relax. And that's going to talk a lot about the physiological processes of stress. There's some educational videos on there. And then actually talk people through a procedure called diaphragmatic breathing, which is, you know, going to physiologically calm a lot of that hyper arousal and, um, body stress activity. And, you know, I encourage people to do that on a daily basis. And sometimes they say they haven't had time and I say, you have to breathe anyways. So that's non-negotiable. <laughs> just change, just change the way you're doing it. Um, and then mindfulness coach is the second app and that will actually, um, yeah, there you go. That will actually like, you know, walk you through what is mindfulness and, you know, a variety of just different exercises. And so those are two, you know, really immediate things at, 
at people's fingertips that they can download. Um, We're going to, we'll try and put a a list of these resources in the show notes for people so that they'll be able to just read down there, scroll down, click on uh, a few. Um, Would you be happy to put a a contact yourself? Can people find you on the socials, Erin? Sure, definitely. And then, um, yeah. And if people need help getting connected, I am very happy to help them help them navigate finding a provider. Wonderful. Well, from uh, our listeners, a big thank you. Um, you know, you, you might not ever hear uh, from the people that you've helped today, but there's a big ripple effect that happens out in our community. So I just really want to thank you. And I have personally gotten a lot out of this conversation. Um, so thanks very much for coming on. And uh, to all of our listeners, You've just heard some uh, absolute gold there and hopefully there's some pathways to healing that you can see in front of you. And uh, it's never too late to start. And uh, all of us have these issues we can deal with. So from all of us to all of you, stay focused, stay happy, and we'll see you next week.